The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Have you ever noticed how when a, when a toddler um, standing next to a parent all of a sudden has a question? Just, you know, and, and they typically with little kids come kind of randomly, you know, and uh, out of adult context, you know, out of adult timing, you know, in the middle of a, a prayer in church or whatever, you know, the child suddenly has this, this question. And there's such a purity about the way that child asks that question that we all envy it somehow, even if we go, oh, shouldn't be talking now. Even so, we envy the candor, the, 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 the transparency, the love, the trust that that child has when the child asks a difficult question. And so every time when you hear one, one of those in this room, think that. Think that that is, is a holy, pure soul that has a holy, pure question that he or she wants to ask the Lord. I don't know about you all, but uh, I have often had questions that I wanted to just call him up and say, hey, help, Lord, and, and have that kind of face-to-face -face connection to ask that question, to get that answer. So often we have these questions that have tied us up inside, these questions that persist, particularly in these wacky times. We have these questions, Lord, what is going on? Help, help me, help all of us. We so much want an answer to those kinds of questions that tie us up inside. Which way do I go? What do I do? How can I possibly do it? It would seem so easy if all we had to do was to tug on the hem of his garment and look up at him and say, Lord, Lord, help. I, I have this question. Can I ask you? And somehow or another, for all the books we read, all the logic that our minds go through in those moments, all those ways that we sort of uh, 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 problem solve ourselves, somehow it is so different from the way that child tugs on a parent. We would know that we would want to be transparent with him and true with him because he would be that way with us. He would know our hearts, and he would help us to see the deep parts within our hearts. And from those deep heart, parts of the heart, perhaps the answer would come. I don't know about you all, but most of mine, as much as I've spent it up here trying to calibrate this and put stuff in there that's, that's wise and smart and Data, data in, data in, data in. All of our lives, we've gone through school doing it. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. But how much have we put into here to help us to make those decisions? For that's where ultimately the Lord really speaks to us most clearly. He'd answer our questions. 
and we could go on to do what he tells us to do with confidence. In the world today, we don't seem to have so much clarity. So we get stuck on our questions. And like the disciples, we very often find ourselves asking out of frustration, well then, who can be saved? If I can't answer this silly little question, who can be saved? You know, how can I, how can I deal with the mysteries of this life? Those mysteries that I'm supposed to be responsible for in the church. If I can't come up with an answer, who then can be saved? To this, the Lord answers us all. The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. If we are to see the wonderful possibilities of God, if we are to inherit eternal life, if we are, after all, to be saved, we must first have that encounter with Jesus. We must first have that real, personal encounter with Jesus, where we go to him in faith and love and fear and humility and tug on the hem of his garment and say, Lord, what must I do? Absent that, we must have that encounter. The affluent young man in the gospel this morning is familiar to us all. We have heard this story before. Now, for all of the smug homilies that have been preached about his self-justification and love of rich possessions, we ought to not so much to be in judgment of him, for at some angles, as we hear the story and look at him, he looks kind of like me. He looks like each one of us. And for all of my smug homilies about him, I felt myself very convicted this week as I examined this. Who then can be saved? This man wants to please the rabbi Jesus. As if he is stepping onto the stage, the young man finds a light that will show him most favorably. He had examined himself before the encounter with the Lord. He had examined himself by the strictest canon of the law of Moses. And he didn't find one law that he had broken when he did his self-examination. St. John Chrysostom says that the Lord saw the man and truly loved him. He had grown up and spent his whole life to this moment trying to do the things that please God. He had been faithful. He had showed up. He had done the things that were in the book. And now he stands before the word himself, not just the book. He stands before the word himself, he who created it all. And all the young man seems to see is another rabbi to ask questions of. How disappointed the Lord must have been at the tragic way the Jews missed the point of the law, the holy law of Moses that pointed to Christ, that pointed to his, com to his coming, and not to itself. 
even in the presence of the divine author of the law, he can only talk about the details of performance. How often do we only talk about the details of performance? Most often so that we may judge those performing around us. Not so much our own performance, but the performance of everyone who sits or stands or walks or works around us. Don't see the principles and miss the person. Know the principles, but don't miss the person. It is as if this young man is dealing with a, a speculative program, a problem in Sabbath school, when he asks, literally, and, and this is literally what he's saying, Teacher, what having done shall I in, inherit eternal life? He's looking back on what he has done. What having done, you know, what, what is it that uh, ensures my inheriting eternal life? At the foundation of his question, there is that tragic misassumption that eternal life is eternally the legal reward for works of merit, and that the only question was, what should those works be? You know, from, from the menu of good works, uh, which one's going to save me? And how often do we, do we go to that menu of good works and do things? with the presumption that somehow this is what's going to get us by. It's not the principles, it's the person. Remember that. If the right works had done, there would be no need for repentance. If the right works had been done, there would be no sin. And so it was that this man does not approach as a penitent, but as one with confidence. The commentator Albert, uh, Alfred Edersheim, who was a Jew himself converted to the Messiah, observes that at this moment it was the old Judaism of self-righteousness speaking without a disguise, that which was the ultimate ground of rejecting and crucifying Christ. If you just hold on to your good works, you might just as well have rejected and crucified Christ. Let that sink in. If you are relying smugly on your goodness, on your betterness, your betterness than the one who sits next to you, the better, your betterness than the one you pass on the street who lies in the gutter, if you are relying somehow on that for your salvation, you might as well have crucified Christ. And I'm on good ground when I say that. For whatever righteousness and eternal salvation the holy ones of Israel achieved, forefathers, prophets in the kingdom, they ultimately achieved what they achieved as we must by the grace of God. For it is by the grace of God that we are saved. For at some point all fell short of the exacting requirement of the law. The heart of it all was to do what the lawgiver himself said and to fall down in trust before him. 
Do we always do what the lawgiver says? The law was a tutor, a catechist, to prepare Israel for the moment when the Messiah himself would stand before them. The law was sent to soften hearts. When we compare ourselves to the standard of it, we should be driven to our knees in repentance, not finding those things which justify ourselves. If we do compare ourselves truly, we will find ourselves asking, who can be saved? I can't live up to this. I, can't, I just blew that one there 10 minutes ago, and that one there uh, yesterday, and that one, I mean, on down the list. The same is true for us as it was for the righteous ones of Israel. Only with God is salvation possible. And so today, just like that rich young ruler, we stand before Christ. Now, we may not be able to tug on the hem of his garment, but we may touch his icon. And through that, we may touch him. We may come to the chalice, and through that we may touch and partake of him. He is no mere good teacher. He is God. We are stripped bare by him of any pretension of self-righteousness. The best we did, compared to the standard of his holiness, the best we did is a pile of dirty rags. Dirty rags that aren't even good to get washed just got to be tossed. But he still loves us. Still came and died for us. Became incarnate for the sake of our salvation. And he does not leave us to clothe ourselves in those dirty garments that we have fashioned, but he gives us new garments. We must ask him what we must do, and he will tell us that one needful thing that perhaps may be a little different for each one of us. He tells us that most of all, to draw near to him and dwell in faith and union with him. If he sees that our hearts are good, he gives us direction in various ways. He directs us to set aside the things that hinder our drawing near to him and our dwelling in union with him. He directs us to practice the virtues. This is not a self-improvement program, self-selected from a menu. Well, let me think. I'll have a, let's see, let's, uh, let's work on uh, this virtue over here. Uh, you know, let's, let's work on this one here. Yeah, th that one seems like it might be doable. Let's work on that one. We don't get to select what he tells us to do. He selects what he tells us to do. For some of us, it may be to sell everything, and for some of us, it may be to prosper. To prosper wonderfully in this world. To make lots of money. And to be charitable with it, and do good things with it, and not be ruled by it. For some of us, it may just be poverty. Perhaps for most of us. For some of us, but for each of us, it will be to draw near to him. 
So we may have to hunker down on our knees like a camel trying to get through a very small door. If we need to get down to get into the kingdom, then get down we must. Once again, I will quote the old Pentecostal hymn, You must get low. You must get low. You want to get to heaven and watch eternity unfold. You must, you must get low. This is the eternal life that we are after. At the last, at the fearful judgment seat of Christ, we will stand clothed in something. Best not be those rags. Best be the new garment that he gave you. We may stand clothed in the best garments we could fashion for ourselves, or we may stand clothed in the white baptismal robes that the Lord himself covered us with, the garments that we practiced to wear by grace when we followed him. And clothed thusly, may we enter the kingdom with great thanksgiving, not just for the turkey, but for our salvation to the glory of God the Father.